Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Luke 24 um, is the, the setting, is that there is, this is a post-resurrection uh, context. So Jesus has already died, and he has already been raised from the dead. But there's two guys who are walking on the road to Emmaus. One of them's named Cleopas, and the other guy, we don't know his name. Um, but they didn't realize that everything had gone on. Can we just acknowledge together that there are things that can be true without us experiencing them as true? In our world, we live with a version of my truth, your truth, with this truth, whatever. But, but there are things that are true that I don't necessarily have to experience as true with, and they're still true. This is this setting in which they uh, find themselves. So I want to pick up here uh, in verse 19. They're walking along the road. They're telling the story. And uh, Jesus actually walks up to join them. Verse 19, Luke 24. He said to them, what things are you talking about? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They knew the story and they had hopes about the story. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not, uh, but him they did not see. And so he said to them, verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses, all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. And we're going to just pause right there. Uh, four things Jesus says to us this morning. I just want to uh, point these things out and, and we'll uh, rock and roll. Here we go. Number one. Uh, number one, the thing he says to them and the things that I think he's speaking to us is uh, you, you can be in a fog. In their particular case, they're in a fog. You're in a fog. But because there are events that happen. Did you see back what he said? Hey, we thought he was going to be the guy. He, was, uh, he died. So we assume he's not the guy. But then you had this story about angels and visions and resurrection and this kind of stuff. Like, we're not sure what's going on. There were events that went on in their lives. And there were emotions that happened as a result of that. That kind of threw them into a fog and off kilter. Anybody? Anybody have anything in your life that an event happened and some stuff got stirred up in you and... The emotions that followed uh, along with that, and all of a sudden you're just kind of walking in a fog going, I, I don't know what's actually happening here. This is the situation in which they find themselves. Listen to me. If that is you, I want you to know Jesus has compassion on you. He loves you. He wants to speak to you. This is not Jesus being mad. He's not like, oh, God, come, 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 come here. This is not him. When he says, um, uh, uh, oh, oh, uh, in verse 24, 5, excuse me, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, it was because of the events and the emotions that went with it that they've kind of lost um, their understanding of the world. So Jesus wants to snap them out of this fog. Without understanding where he says, uh, um, oh, foolish ones, it, this is not Jesus calling them morons, okay? There is an actual word in the Greek language for moron, and this is not it. This is something like ignorant in, in the most technical sense of that word. Like, you, you, you don't actually know. You don't know. Oh, foolish ones, ignorant ones, and slow of heart to believe. 
If any of you have had experience in a cardiac unit, um, there, there are two kind of things that happen uh, that, that set off some alarms and make things go beep that are not normally beeping, but beep faster and loudly and, you know, cause people to come running. Uh, one of them is when your heart beats real fast, and we call that tachycardia, okay? Uh, the, the other one is when your heart beats real slow, and they call that? bradycardia and we had some experience in our family where uh, we spent some time in a cvicu with one of ours and post-surgery this little thing went off and on the screen is beeping brady 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 and i'm like who's brady is that the name of the nurse and i missed it is that the name of the doctor i don't know brady 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 and in they come hey hey what's going on so they're working through this the greek words for slow of heart is bradycardia what jesus is saying is we're not up to speed with the things that we need need to be up to speed with. These particular folks here, Cleopas and his pal, as they're walking on the way to Emmaus, they're just not fully up to speed. They are without understanding their ignorance, and they are slow of heart to believe. Um, Understanding and belief, they are a self-feeding cycle. And in the kingdom of God, you can enter through either door, but what you find is that that is a self-feeding cycle. So um, when we step in on the side of belief, faith, okay, God, I'm going to believe. I don't understand everything, but I'm going to believe. And you step out, all of a sudden... You figure out some things. There's understanding that is made clear to you. And sometimes we step in on the understanding. God, I see this. I don't have a lot of faith here, but I see this. And then our faith comes around. And so understanding and belief is this self-feeding cycle. And Jesus is wanting to snap them out of this fog that they're in. Secondly, God has been telling this story. Look at what he says. Foolish ones, ignorant ones, slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. What prophets are we talking about? Well, we're talking about like Moses and like Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and all those other us that you you don't remember what, uh, you know, you don't remember the order in which they fall in the Bible and you have to sing the song and all, you know, like all those others. They're all pointing to Jesus. Jesus says God has been telling this story a long, long time. That's that's the first thing. The prophets, look look at what he says next in verse 26. Uh, excuse me, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He's been telling this story for a long time. So from Samuel, from Moses' day, from Samuel's day, from Elijah, from Elisha, from Isaiah, uh, from Jeremiah, and on and on and on we could go, folks. He's been telling this story a long, long time. This is is what he's been saying. And so this week, when you pick up your New Testament and you start reading in Matthew, because that's the first book we're going to read, the very tomorrow when you read the very uh, first couple of chapters of Matthew, you know what you're going to see over and over and over again. You take your little pen that you're going to do with because you're not going to hurry through. You're going to circle, and this was to fulfill what the prophets have spoken, and this was to fulfill what the prophets have spoken, and this this was to fulfill what the he says it over and over and over and over again, trying to help us see. This is what God was talking about. This is the story that he, God has been telling this story, and he has been telling this story for a long, long time. Secondly, uh, Messiah, he says, is plan A. So look, look in verse 26. Uh, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Messiah, the story is Messiah. It is plan A. Man, this is not some, oh, we got to change tack here. This is not uh, uh, some, oh my gosh, what do we do now? Let's pull the emergency ripcord here and see what happens. 
Messiah has always been the case. So Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I am the way. Like this is the thing that has been happening, readying. God is making this thing go. And he has done so for a long, long time. Lastly, um, just on this note, because God has been telling this story for a long time, because he promised the Messiah and the Messiah has come, what you and I can say together is that God is faithful. What he said was going to happen has happened. What he promised was going to be has been fulfilled. What he said, hey, this is going to come about, that thing has come about. Church family, look at me. Today, you and I woke up and God was faithful. And tomorrow, you know what? We're going to wake up and what will we find? God will still be faithful. There are times when it looks crazy, it looks dark, things are up, things are black, things are this, things are that, things are uh, 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 all. Listen, throughout, there are times when even um, 400 years, between the Old Testament and New Testament, 400 years where God seemed to go silent. You know what? He was still being faithful in that moment. He was still being faithful. God has been telling this story for a long, long time. And the Messiah is plan A. And even when the Messiah dies... According to these guys, they're like, we thought he was the guy. Even when that, God is still faithful. Even when it looks like it's going to go bad, even when it looks like it's going to go the other way, God is still faithful. Okay. What he said then is in effect now. What he promised then is now fulfilled. Thirdly, th- this is the absolute best story here. I mean, this is the, this is the best story. So I want to uh, back up in, in verse 26. Was it not necessary? That's number one. When we talk about the best story, it was a necessary story to be told. Was it not necessary, he says. It, it, of course it was necessary. It was. Um, th- there was no shortcut to this. Um, you can't skip this. You can't skip this key part. Maybe you've had this conversation, maybe between husband and wife, uh, wife and husband, between you and a kid, or between you and somebody who's important in your life, where you start telling the story, and you're just like, so excited about the story, and you're talking so fast, and they're like, I don't get it, man. You're like, but, 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 and then you fill in the kind of the key part. And they're like, well, had you told me that in the first place? Now I would understand. Anybody in your marriage ever? Okay. So um, this is that, like, this is the key part. This is the part that we cannot skip over. Was it not necessary? Yes, it absolutely, without question, was necessary for this story, for the Messiah um, to come. If we skip this step, we skip, we skip. Skip the key part. What is the storyline here? Was it not necessary, verse 26, that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into glory? Here's the storyline. Suffering to glory. Suffering to glory. Now, I, I point that out because my guess is, is that everybody in here loves this part of the story. Like suffering to glory, we all love that junk, man. And like, I mean, you, th- you think about the stories you read, you think about the stories you watch, you think about the shows that you binge on Netflix, you think about all of that kind of stuff. What do you want? Inevitably, you want the good guys to win. Yeah? The thing that resonates inside of us is when the good guys win. Now, they may go through suffering. There's always an act two uh, part of this where they're like, oh, are they going to make it? I don't know. Is it going to be okay? You see it in the best of movies. You see it in the worst. Movies. Everybody still, it's the same kind of plot. Have this thing and then this, oh, crisis point, And then it resolves. Like, we love this story. This resonates inside of us. Not only, though, because we want the good guys to win, but also because we're suffering. We look at the world and go, boy, this is not exactly what we thought it was going to be. 
We look at the world and we think, man, this place is a little more busted up than we thought. It was like this, this dark is a little more dark. Than, it's a little darker than we thought. This, this brokenness is a little more broken than we anticipated here. We are suffering and so we're hoping. We're counting on. We're wanting there to be glory on the other end. And I'll just give you an example. Maybe this dates me and some of you too. Out of the original three Star Wars movies, what's the best one? Hands down, no questions. Empire. Oh, Toby. Toby. No, no, no. We're calling you out in front of us. No, you cannot. No. Empire Strikes Back is the best movie. Everybody agrees it's the best movie except for Toby. And, um, but here's the thing. Nobody loves to, that I know. Nobody loves the end of that part, right? I mean, they, they go flying off um, on the search for Han and Luke's just kind of standing there figuring out how to work his hand. He's like, uh. And then the John Williams score comes up. You're like, wait, 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 wait. Hold up. This is not how the movie is supposed to end. And then you're like, I, now I've got to wait two more years for Jedi to come out. Come on. Anybody with me on this? I just got a little passionate here. Okay, nerd, we're nerding out here on a Sunday morning. Um, the, the reason why the, the end of Empire bothers us is because suffering to glory, we don't have the glory at the end of Empire Strikes Back. It resonates with us, though, when the good guys win. This is that, that storyline. Last thing, it is, it is suffering to glory for the Messiah, not for us. So don't miss it. That the Christ, that the, the Christ is a Greek word for Messiah. Anytime you see that, you can replace it with Messiah. Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory. So the, the story is Jesus has left heaven. He has uh, left glory. He has come to the earth, born um, as a baby there. Christmas time, he has grown up, lived a perfect life, and now is stepping into his role as Messiah, where ultimately he will be killed at the crossroads of a religious conspiracy and a political power play, and the God of the universe is bringing this about to bring salvation for everyone. And three days in the tomb, man, people are like, oh, we've never seen it go this poorly, but God raises him from the dead, and there is victory because of that. Um, It's the Messiah's story. This is a story about him. People pick this up um, in the New Testament. Uh, People prophesy it in the Old Testament. Peter uh, at at Pentecost talks uh, from Psalm 16 says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. This is the story. He dies and he rises and and salvation comes to the world because of him. Uh, Just a little parentheses here. Uh, press pause for just a moment. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for us? Here's what I want to say to you. Number one, it means these two things. Number one, Christianity, the the whole project of Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. Um, Some people want it to be on a Christian culture. Folks, politicians come and politicians go. Systems come, systems go. Uh, Laws get passed and then they get revoked. Listen, let's not bank on that. Let's put our hope and our faith, let's, let's build our life upon something better and bigger than a political play, yes? So um, some people think, oh, well, if we could just have Christian culture back, no, 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 no. Christianity doesn't stand or fall on the cultural dominance of Christian teaching or worldview. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. Um, I said it in the 830. Let me just give it to you here. Like, 
And people ought to know our faith more than they know our politics, yeah? Some people say, and I had this, this is more a kind of a church-oriented thing, not, not so much culture, but church. Like, so, some people say, well, um, you know, this, this first few chapters of the Bible, I had this conversation more than once, but first few chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11, like everything kind of hinges on that. Eh, no, not really. Everything hinges on the resurrection. God made the world. How he did it, we can argue about. I got some inclinations on how that went down, but the truth is, is that this project of Christianity doesn't stand or fall on six literal days or this or that, or whatever. The project of Christianity stands or falls on whether or not Jesus got up from the dead. I want to bet my life on that, not my interpretation of something else. Uh, P- Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I think this is in the Bible app. Let me just uh, read a portion of it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For even uh, we, for we are found even to be misrepresenting God. In other words, we're calling God a liar. Uh, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Here's, here's the money quote right here. And um, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The whole project of Christianity stands or falls not on my interpretation of a portion of Scripture, not on the dominance of a culture, but on whether or not Jesus got up from the dead. Secondly, it is our best story to tell. Like, this is the story that we should be telling. Earlier in the book, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What he was saying was, look, you can bet your life on a lot of things. I'm telling you, I wanted to come and I wanted to present to you Jesus and Jesus only. And if you want to build your life, let's build your life on that. And when this is our story that we get to tell, when, when it is our best story and we tell it, we not only um, help others understand it, but also we remind ourselves of the goodness and the rightness of this. Okay, last thing. Um, it all, every, every bit of it points to Jesus. Back to verse 27, Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. It, it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. If you're a note taker, you can take these down. Or if you're a picture taker, just feel free to grab your phone and just snap a picture of this. But listen, the law, as we understand it, the law is designed, Galatians chapter 3, the law leads us to Jesus. It shows just how much we need a Savior. You and I say, hey, we want to live this way. Oh, we can't live this way. What do we need? Somebody to help us to live this way. That is Jesus. The prophets that we've already mentioned here, um, the, the prophets ready us for Jesus. They say, hey, this is the world that should be. Not like this, but like this. Not uh, the, the way that this is, but the way that this ought to be. The prophets ready us for Jesus. And then they predict, hey, not only is there things should look like this instead of the way that they are, that, that uh, when, when this happens, man, you need to know there is God, God is sending someone. He is, he is bringing somebody so that the world will be like this. The prophets ready us for Jesus. What about history? Abraham and Moses and David and all these guys. Like, what, what does history um, show us? History shows us our need for Jesus. Because Abraham, he was a good guy, father of the faith. Guess what? He still messed it up. We need a better father than Abraham. 
Moses, a prophet, good prophet. I mean, important prophet. Old Testament guy, leads the people through the Red Sea. I mean, all of that. Still, though, stuck it in the ditch. We need a better prophet than Moses. David, he was a great king. Let Israel, peace time, 40 years, amazing stuff happened. And, boy, he made a wreck out of it. We need a better king. We need a better king than David. Good news, we have one. His name is Jesus. Everything, the history points us to Jesus. What about the poetry, the Psalms, the Proverbs, some of that other stuff, the wisdom literature as it's called? What about that kind of stuff? Those things are expressions and they're evocations. They are, they evoke in us longings for Jesus. You read the Psalms, they're like, God, this is the way it looks, but I'm telling you, this is who you are. And our hearts go, man, we long for that. We long for that. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four stories told from four perspectives. Four stories about who Jesus is, what he said, what he has done, and what that means. The Acts, the book of Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. What it ought to be called is Acts of the Spirit of Jesus. Because the Spirit of Jesus comes into people and then goes to work. When we read Acts, we are reading uh, of how Jesus is showing us his work through his people. The letters, the letters of, of Paul and Peter and James and these others, what do they do? They point the churches to Jesus. Paul writes to the Colossians and he's like, hey, listen, there's some knuckleheads who are going to try to deceive you with this. Don't be deceived. Just look to Jesus. Galatian, hey, if you pick up another gospel, what you'll find, it's not really a gospel at all. Don't look to them. Look to Jesus. Thessalonians, hey, listen, man, you receive the word in suffering. That suffering will have you get your eyes off Jesus, but don't do that. Look to Jesus. James, hey, listen, he was my big brother. You need to know. He said some really important things. Here's how we live it out as we follow Jesus. Peter writes, oh, you're scattered abroad. I know this is important. It looks like a crazy world, exile, the whole thing. Look to Jesus, even in the midst of your suffering. The letters point us to Jesus. And lastly, the revelation. 85 days from now, you'll pick up verse 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 1 of Revelation, and you'll say, this is the revelation. It literally says, it is the revelation of Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus. And all the stuff that happens, all the stuff we can understand, all the stuff that looks too crazy to read, it all points us to Jesus because the end of the book says, there's a king and he's coming on a horse. And he's got a sword and he's going to, everything that's jacked up in this world, he's going to make right. And we can trust him right to that very moment. Everything points to Jesus. I I went to Baylor for undergrad and graduate school. Waco's a crazy town, man. Like before the silos, like I was there before all that crazy stuff happens. Normally when you lay out a town, you lay it out in a square or a rectangle, like things should run east to west and north and south. Because the way that the Brazos River flows through Waco, they laid it out on a diamond, which is completely messed up. Because you could be on North 19th Street, um, headed south, but your compass will say east, which is all messed up. If ever you got lost in Waco, there was, a, there was like a true thing, though, because the Baylor campus sits right next to downtown, just across the freeway. And if, so if ever you got lost in Waco, you could always do this. You could always just kind of lift your eyes and you would find the Alico building. It's the one skyscraper, the single skyscraper in Waco, 20 something stories. You get lost, you look for the Alico building. You, you, you're not quite sure which side of town. If you're going east, west, north, south on whatever road and whatever it's called, like you look for the Alico building and you would find this as a freshman Baylor student, 18, 19 years old, driving, going, oh, uh, which way am I supposed to be going? You just knew that there was an Alico building. If you could find an Alico building, you could get home. Listen to me. If you're looking for a way to get home, if you're looking for a place to give you a direction, like you, 
If you're, look, if you're not sure where you are, if you yourself are in the fog, what do we do? We look to Jesus. It all points to him and he will take us home. And that's where we close because we're kicking off tomorrow with this story of the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. And our eyes will be on a text. It will be on words on a page. But listen, Jesus is going to be staring right back at us from these pages, wanting to work in our lives and change our lives forever. Keep our eyes on him. It all points to him. Let me pray. And then we'll uh, sing a song and be dismissed. Um, Father, for these moments and for this emphasis that we as a church family are kind of stepping into. Help us, God. Help us because um, there will be things that want to come around and distract us. Uh, there will be um, the circumstances Material things, relationships, whatever they may be that will distract us. Uh, So God, help us to keep our eyes fixed fully, solely even, on you. The whole of the scripture points to you. So God, I, I pray, I pray that as we read that we would see you. Pray particularly for these students. They have seen you. Would you seal up now the things that you've done in their lives? Don't let the enemy swoop in. Don't let the hardship of returning to the, what you and I would call normal life, don't let that um, um, choke anything out. Don't let anything get burned up. Instead, let the things that they've had implanted in them, may they bear good fruit for your glory. We trust you, Father. Go to work now in our lives, seal up the things that you are already done. Ready us for what you want to do next. Put all this in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.